listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. I am Andrew Berkshire from the Game Over Montreal Show and also Mary Clark from For the Win. We are here to talk to you about a variety of topics. We're we got some more fun topics today than usual. I feel like we've been bogged down so much this season by bad stories. And like nothing here is necessarily a great story of positive uplifting, but there's some more fun stories. Uh, Aaron Dell got suspended. Uh, first goaltender I can remember <laughs> being suspended for a dirty hit in the NHL. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, then Brandon Dubinsky talked about his unceremonious end to his career in Columbus and what that had to do with John Tortorella. And then finally, we got to talk about the uh, Arizona Coyotes because that continuing fiasco with their arena is coming to a head here. And there's some interesting developments to uh, put out there by Craig Morgan this morning. So first of all, uh, Mary, how's it going? It's good. It's doing. We were just talking before we started the show how cold it is. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, stay warm, keep, keep you know my room nice and toasty because we're we're really in winter now i mean it doesn't get super super cold here at least compared to you know canada uh but still like we're we're definitely in the heart of winter and you know it's it's nice that like the olympics are coming up so there's something to do in mid-february because i always feel like this time of year is the like dog days of the nhl season like we're in the middle of the season there's not a lot happening um like all the games are kind of just like you know it almost feels like a slog but it's nice that this year that there's some uh something to break it up you know with the olympics um and even we'll still have nhl hockey and the all-star game and stuff like that so it that it's it's nice that you know we're going to get through this winter and there's still going to be stuff to talk about because you know the middle of the season can be a bit of a slog and i completely understand that as somebody who has covered the nhl throughout the seasons and uh it's just nice it's nice to have something to look forward to yeah, 100%. I'm mildly afraid because I have to alter my sleep schedule significantly in order to cover the Olympics, which is something that uh, I guess hasn't actually been announced yet, but we'll we'll uh, hint at it. I think I've hinted at it before on the show, but I'll be doing something with SDPN covering the Olympics here. And basically, I'm going to be up all night. Uh, the women's games start at 1130, I believe, p.m. Yeah. Eastern time. And then the men's games are at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, China, could you have done anything worse here? Like, why are they nine hours apart? But that's I know. Be my I'm, life now. I'm definitely not going to have the same vigorous schedule as you do. But for some of those days, yeah. I mean, like, they... I'd rather stay up late than get up early. I'm yes, I'm a, I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. Whenever we've recorded in the mornings, I've always been a complete mess just because I just don't do well in the mornings. So, you know, I'm I'm happy some of the games, at least like the women's games are at night because I feel like those are going to be the mo more, at least more important ones, more fun ones to watch. Uh, Way more fun. But there is like, you know, the interesting tidbit of like, you know, the men's side having a bunch of college players, which is nice. But, you know, the women's side is definitely going to be the ones to watch. And I'm glad those are in the evening or at least, you know, comparatively um, so that like I'll at least be more awake for those than trying to wake up at like super early in the morning because I do not do well with that. But I completely understand it's going to be it's going to be a fun time for both of us. But we're still going to, you know, cover, I believe, you know, the Olympics and the NHL. 
uh, like we usually do in our normal regular format. So I would hope I hope our schedules align for that, but we'll make it work regardless. We'll give you guys the content. You guys, you guys know us. This is true. We'll figure out a way. Uh, we always do. There are a couple of quick news tidbits to start before we get into our first topic of the show. And that is, the first is that uh, according to former referee Tim Peel, who is fashioning himself a career as an insider on yeah. Twitter, uh, the Edmonton Oilers are going to sign Evander Kane. That was like heavily hinted by insiders up until now, but appears like the NHL behind the scenes has uh, cleared the path for Kane to sign with the Oilers. So that's going to happen. Uh, we've already talked about our feelings on that, so I don't think we need to elaborate too much other than the fact that we think it's not the best move for them. And the other thing that just broke now was, as we're recording this, was the ECHL announced that the suspension for Jacob Panetta for his uh, racist gesture towards Jordan Subban will last the rest of the 2021-2022 season, which kind of destroys all possible credibility Panetta had when he was claiming that it was not a racist gesture and it was just a quote unquote tough guy gesture, which continually like what I said on Twitter yesterday was if you have any inkling of the amount of racism that the Subban family has dealt with in hockey and you think that like you look at how little they've reacted over the time that you know PK has been in the NHL, all these guys have gone through junior hockey, American League, East Coast League. There's no way Jordan reacts that strongly if there's any doubt in his mind over what Panetta was doing. And obviously we don't have the on-ice audio, but I assume that there's some audio to go with that gesture because at first Jordan has his back turned and he snaps around quick. So I think that there's some maybe some monkey hooting or something like that or some gorilla grunting going on to enhance that racist gesture that uh, we don't see on the video, but Jordan Subban heard and reacted to and saw what Jacob Panetta was doing. Yeah. And so there was I think a reason this is like the dust is settled. We know what happened. Here. And there was a reason the referees also, you know, reacted in the way they did yes. too on that play. So it was a flimsy, you know, excuse at best. And you, maybe you should just not try and, you know, cause Tom Wilson does the same, or at least did the same like bodybuilder. I'm using air quotes. You can kind of see that, uh, uh, you know, stance maybe you should do the other way like flexing in the normal way you would flex and yes not, the you know, arms up, up like arms this. up not arms down yeah. yeah so that's at least a more universal symbol at least i've seen anyway so you know if you're gonna try and use that you know as a as you know a taunt at least do it that way and you know then you know you'll be 100 in the clear so just take that one out of your repertoire hockey players it's not needed and obviously, like, it really seems like, you know, like you said, this is kind of done and dusted at this point. We've we've made our feelings clear. We don't I don't think we need to, you know, go m much more on this one. Yeah, it, it's like, I mean, obviously, the story is not over. I'd like to hear uh, from Jordan Subban after all these people in uh, Canadian hockey media have been jumping over themselves to give Jacob Panetta an outlet oh, yeah. to talk about it. I'd like to see Jordan Subban granted that same opportunity if he wants it if he doesn't then that's another story but uh, as far as what happened i think that's settled i, I think mm -hmm. that uh, the work that goes into making sure it doesn't happen again is ahead of us but in terms of this incident there's no debate anymore i think we know what happened but okay so speaking of debate aaron dell uh <laughs> decided that he was going to go out of his net on a dump-in 
and absolutely demolished Drake Batherson when he was not expecting a check at all, did not have the puck, and Batherson fell to the ice and crashed at high speed into the boards and end up, ended up with a high ankle sprain. So Batherson went from on track for his first ever All-Star Game appearance to now being likely on the injured reserve for two months. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, this is not the first time that Aaron Dell has, has pulled this move. Yeah. And listen, as a former goalie, I actually like when goalies get a little physical because they take a lot of abuse. Like the one that sticks out to me in my head is like Patrick Waugh demolishing, I think it was Mike Gartner back in the day. And the year after Chris Kreider uh, wrecked Carey Price's knee in the playoffs, Price caught Kreider behind the net and just like blew him over like he was a sack of potatoes. And that was really satisfying. But the way that Dell has done it, both this time and the last time, where the player's coming in fast and going towards the boards, it's friggin' dangerous, man. And you can't... The NHL made the right move here. They had to suspend him. I don't think any other goalie's ever been suspended, but I kind of love... I almost feel like Ron Hextall had to have been suspended back in the day. Obviously, I'm I'm too young to, you know, actually know because that was before my time. But I feel like he must have been suspended. Like, there's no way, given his career, that he wasn't suspended for all of his antics. But it has been some time since we've seen a goalie suspension. It's, It's funny, though, because, like... I'm trying to remember any other, like, goalie shenanigans. I remember Ray Emery, way back on the Flyers, uh, went after a Capitals goalie whose name might be. Maybe it was Braden Holpe. I don't think it was, though. But, like, maybe that was just your run-of-the-mill, like, goalie fight. But I remember there being some, like, other goalie shenanigans um, in Philadelphia uh, I think I was the controversy watching, but... with the Ray Emery one was like Ray Emery is a really good fighter, right? And that uh, was maybe the big deal. Yeah, maybe I don't really remember specifically, but I'm trying to like. I mean, like Jordan Bennington's had his like little outbursts, but it's never yes. gone to like you know doing something in the middle of play. All of his like Jordan, uh, like his his antics have been like after like after the play, like kind of like punching people on his way off the ice, at least from what I remember. It's been it's been a hot minute, but it, it we have not seen a goalie suspension in some time here. Yeah, I feel like Jordan Bennington also got relatively lucky with one of his temper tantrums that he like swung a stick and it missed. Yeah, exactly. And I, I Googled it quickly just because to, to check. Uh, there's articles on in the New York Times here from uh, Ron Hextall in 1987-88 was suspended for the first eight games of the season <laughs> for a stick swinging incident in the uh, fourth game of the Stanley Cup Finals oh, against wow. Edmonton, and also in 1989 in the Washington Post he received a 12 game suspension. And I'm just checking to see what that's about here. If the Washington Post article opens up properly, uh, he went after Chris. I oh, know Chris Chelios and Brian Prop. Yeah, okay, this is the famous incident, mm-hmm. uh, which. Yeah, this is uh, Chelios kind of had it coming. This is like what I think uh, gave Hextall the the uh, reputation of being <laughs> a bit of a psycho was when he went after Chris Chelios. But also, like Chris Chelios did try to like basically murder my- Brian Prop in that Stanley Cup final. So yeah. apparently, he just loves to get suspended in the Stanley Cup final <laughs> or in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't remember. I don't think that was the final because '89 it would have been the uh, Canadians and Flames. 
But yeah, in the playoffs, Ron Hextall loves to get suspended, unfortunately. But overall, yeah, you don't see many goaltender suspensions, especially not, as you said, in the play. After the play is a different story. You see yeah. goaltenders once in a while get a game misconduct for like punching with the blocker or a stick swinging incident. But a body check. Yeah. You, you, you don't really see that. And it wasn't, I know you had mentioned that he had had another incident with uh, Mark Stone of Vegas, which is a very similar play. Uh, the other side of the net, but same deal. He kind of like chicken wings him and Stone crashes into the boards in a similar manner. Thankfully, I don't think Stone was injured, but uh, he um, he went over uh, like earlier this month. Um, Aaron Dell kind of ran into uh, Tolvanen in Nashville uh, on a play like along the boards, I think chasing after a puck. He kind of like hit him when I don't I don't remember this full details, but he he like this isn't the first time uh just this year that Arendelle has gotten physical out of his crease in the middle of play too, because this wasn't, you know, anything outside of play. This was like a, an actual play that was happening. So it is I mean, I think everybody basically agrees, you know, suspension had to happen. Um, you know, Drake Batherson was injured too, which did not help Dell's case one bit. Um, it's not a play that you want to see from a goalie. I get that goalies are kind of abused in their crease, but this was just a very, very unnecessary hit. And it really didn't even need to be made because one of Dell's teammates was getting the puck behind the net. There really was no reason for him to, you know, go after, like to try and basically run interference, which is, I assume that's what he was trying to do, but it seemed just, he wanted to kind of step in and make a hit basically instead yeah, of you know, I mean... actually running interference. I think if you want to be like super charitable, you could say, oh, Dell was running a pick to like slow up the Ottawa player. Yeah. But I don't know. I, to me, it's just really poor decision making on Dell's part. And I've seen a few articles come out over the last couple of days here saying things like, oh, like when goalies are out of their crease, should they be fair game for hits then? And it's like, no. <laughs> and I was uh, reading something from my friend uh, Paul Campbell, who works for In Goal Magazine. He was talking about like it is still illegal to like body check a goalie outside of the crease, and the the reason why that rule exists is not to protect goalies, which would be a good enough reason to do that in the first place. I mean, look how many teams already this year are on their like fourth and fifth string goalies due to COVID and injuries, but it's to prevent line brawls. Because can you imagine if some plugger comes down? And like barrels through like a Carter Hart behind the net or like an Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, obviously the stakes aren't that high for Philly this year. Sorry, Mary. But a team that with actual competitive proposition, like especially right before the playoffs, say that you're facing your rival team. It's the Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay Lightning, two teams that could very easily win the Stanley Cup this year. And Florida's like, well, we didn't win last year against this team. And the one thing that was really sticking in our craw during that series was how good Vasilevsky was. Why don't we just run him right now, take the suspension or whatever. It's like the last two weeks of the season or something and put him out of the, the first round series. Now that would create an absolutely chaotic series of line brawls in the playoffs. Like the chaos that would ensue would be unfathomable so that's why you don't make goalies fair game outside of the crease and it makes sense like it it, it i completely understand why it's there just this was just such so it was so unnecessary and i feel so bad for 
you know, Drake Batherson. We've talked a lot about Aaron Dell's place and all this, but like you said, the Duke was about to go to his first all-star game ever. He's had a really good year in Ottawa this year. They get like 34 points in 31 games. Like he's been really good for Ottawa. And this just, you know, it just sucks to, you know, right before, you know, the all-star break um, to get injured like this on a completely unavoidable play. It just, you know, it, and I know Aaron Dell, I think, apologized after and his quote is like, my intention wasn't to hurt anyone. That, that just rings so hollow to me because what else was the point of that play if not to injure? There was there was just no reason for it, in my opinion. And I just feel bad for, you know, Batherson, the, the you know, Ottawa fans, his family. Like, I know that we clown on the All-Star game a lot. And I know you're not a huge fan, Andrew, of it. But, but still, it's it, it's fun for the players, especially young ones that want to go like that. And, you know, I think uh, the Senators coach, DJ Smith, called it ridiculous that, you know, any other player makes that they have to, like, pay the piper or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing there. But, you know, Doug got suspended for three games and Batherton's going to be out for at least two months, I believe. And then you know, we'll miss the all-star game. And in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, just the all-star game, but that's still a big honor to be chosen for your first all-star game and having to miss it sucks like in that regard. And like, especially in that way. Yeah. It's a special moment for, for young guys and your first ever time being asked to be there. You know, that's who's excited about it. Not, Guys like uh, Ovechkin, who you know, he's excited about everything. I don't know if he's. I was going to say, I, I don't know if I don't. Well, I don't know if Ovechkin's a good, you know, good example because he is excited about everything he does, and I don't know. Maybe... I mean, he's tried to get out of the last couple. He I was know the the fire that kept it going for a long stretch, but I don't know if he's that excited about doing it anymore. That's but uh, we we probably don't need to do too much talk about to that, and uh, we'll wrap it up and uh, move on to our next topic, which is going to be a very interesting uh, article from Aaron Portsline of the Athletic on Brennan Dubinsky. We'll tell you about that right after this. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on all one word to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and the UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022 bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Mary. So this whole uh, Dubinsky thing, Bre- Brandon Dubinsky basically just disappeared. Yeah. And the article mentions that like just nobody really talked about it. There wasn't a big deal made of his retirement. He just like left in the middle of a training camp in 2019, and was basically forgotten about. And essentially, he was spotted. In the crowd in Columbus, and it starts off with this incredibly funny story about like wholesome, uh, yeah, yeah, very wholesome story about like two referees spotting him in the crowd and being like, "We don't miss you at all," because <laughs> he is such a pain in the ass, right? Mm-hmm. So, very funny start to it, but it goes over the end of his career and talks about like uh, when he was traded away from the the Rangers who were a very good team he was actually happy to go to a terrible team in Columbus because the relationship between him and John Tortorella had become so soured had some great years in Columbus under Todd Richards and 
then Richards gets fired and who comes in but John Tortorella and immediately Dubinsky is feeling like he is no longer appreciated, uh, no longer being given the opportunities that he had in his mind earned and also dealt with a severe wrist injury that he was taking medication for and steroid shots and cortisone shots on the daily just to grind through and play for this team. And eventually it became too much and he wasn't having fun anymore and he chose to call it quits. I think there's a bunch of little interesting tidbits in here to dig into, but the thing that I wanted to look at first was just the aspect of the injuries. And we don't often talk about this, that when guys get to a certain point in their careers, it seems like a fair amount of players in the NHL are just getting through. If you know what I mean, like they're day to day holding on with the last bit of their grip to a spot in the NHL. And it's not about a lack of talent. It's just that their bodies have broken down on them. And like Dubinsky played a heavy game. So obviously there's potential like higher potential for an injury, but I think there's a ton of guys in this league. I mean, in all sports, really whose bodies are just a hair away from failing them. NHL players are just like us guys. They're just holding on in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even 30 yet, but I completely like, I can empathize. I empathize. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not an athlete. I'm not pushing my body to, you know, the extremes of extremes to, you know, play a sport that I love. I get that. But it's still when you said that, it was like, man, they're just like they're just like us. But for real, though, it is you're right in that, like, we you don't really think about it. I mean, if you're in like a locker room situation, you probably see like you at least when I cover the Flyers a handful of years back, like, you know, I saw like the players like, you know, obviously not working out and stuff but like sitting like at their lockers you know under like without their pads and stuff and yeah they've got like you know like it, it you can tell it wears on their bodies especially the older players and stuff like that it 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 ages you uh in a way that's very similar to like you know when the you know you see the before and after pictures of when you become president of the united states you yes know, it 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 to me, it was a very similar, like, y- they shouldn't look as old as they do, uh, you know, especially for your mid-30s. Like, some players that are in their mid-30s look, like, 40-plus. And, you know, I mean, it's not just NHL athletes. Like, other athletes, like Aaron Rodgers, like, not to bring this man up, but, like, he looks way older than he is. And it's just the amount of, like, physical strain sports put on your body ages you, like, significantly, it feels like. Not everyone, but, like... You know, it. I mean, you've seen the pictures of Alice Ovechkin, you know, with his gray hair. Like, yep. Like, that started a long time ago. Yeah, but like, it's still like it, it ages you. It really does. So, and that's just like the fun physical signs of like, you know, aging, like gray hair and stuff like that. There's stuff you don't see, like your bones aching, like things not, you know, like you broke your leg and th- it didn't set right. So you kind of have a little bit of a limp. Stuff like that. You're right. Really don't talk about that because that's just kind of how hockey players, at least from what I can tell, a lot of them will just, you know, take meds and move on and, you know, deal with it as best as they can. But then, you know, when their hockey playing careers are over, they have to deal with it and pick up the pieces and continue on with their lives as best they can. And, you know, reading that part of, you know, the Dubinsky piece was really eye opening in certain ways. So definitely recommend reading it um 
not just for that, because I'm sure we have we'll have more to talk about. But you're right in that, you know, that's not something we really discuss as like a hockey community. Um, you get things like, you know, the concussions and stuff like that, because those are the bigger injuries uh, that have really big lasting impacts uh, on people. But it's not just, you know, the concussions. That's uh, that's obviously the big extreme end of the spectrum. But, you know, you'll hockey players, you know, their wrists, their, you know, their legs, uh, stuff like that. So it's just it was really fascinating to read. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is like. Those those players like and it's, like you mentioned, it's not just hockey, you talk about tennis players right and there are tennis players who at the end of their careers like can barely walk you know we look at steve eiserman now and i'm pretty sure steve eiserman has had like a double knee replacement because of where he ended up in his career like steve eiserman's last run in the playoffs uh, actually it might not have been his last run but the last run that they won the stanley cup in i don't remember if he retired after that year or not in 2002 but uh i remember hearing stories of when eiserman put up it was something like uh 21 points in 21 games i think i'm gonna look it up quickly here 23 points in 23 games so he actually played three more years which is completely friggin' absurd but i remember the stories very vividly in 2002 about how all the cartilage was gone from both of his knees and every time he stepped or skated it was bone grinding oh. on bone. Yes. Sounds excruciating, right? Yeah. Like just oh. the thought of it is horrifying. And he played in the Olympics that year. Oh. Won gold with Team Canada. Man. He played all the games in the playoffs. 23 points in 23 games. When he wasn't on the ice, he was on crutches or in a wheelchair. Like, oh. the torture that athletes put themselves through. And it's not just hockey, mm -hmm. obviously. Like, is unbelievable and the way that we oftentimes allow these leagues to leave these players at the end of their careers it's a conversation we need to keep happening having that this it's not right how little support they get overall and i know that uh, glenn healy has done a lot of work uh outside of necessarily the nhlpa he has like an nhl alumni association that helps fund players after their careers for like medical uh bills and stuff like that but there's a lot that players are stuck with. And if they're not taught at a young age how to manage the money that they're making, because obviously they're making good money now, now, not necessarily 50 years ago, like you can go in debt really fast. Like you look at uh, Dan Carcillo, right? He started this new company on psychedelics, which is, which is going really well for him. But before that, he was completely broke. And the Chicago Blackhawks were refusing to recognize his concussion issues and help fund that. Like the NHLPA abandoned him. Like, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on. So that was super interesting to me from Dubinsky's point of view. I will say that uh, Portsline betrayed himself as a Columbus Blue Jackets reporter a little bit by mentioning that uh, Dubinsky just played hard against Sidney Crosby and refused to allow him to, <laughs> uh, yes. you know, yes, cross-checking him in the back of the neck and his face into the ice. Multiple illegal plays that Dubinsky never got suspended for. Let let's be honest here. Dubinsky was... A very dirty player. So yeah. that betrayed a little bit. But the whole thing with Torts as well, I think there's there's part of me that's like, yeah, Torts is awful. <laughs> like we've mm -hmm. we've heard enough stories now, some of the things that he says in the media, but also having talked to many former players, the way that Dubinsky describes himself, and like, oh well, I had earned my way up to those minutes. 
Like, this is the National Hockey League, dude. Like, it doesn't matter if you've earned it before. What are you bringing me now? And Portsline brought up like, oh, yeah, he was putting up 15 goals and 44 points. He was the number one center on the Blue Jackets. That's not that's not good enough. So, of course, they wanted to try the young kids. So I'm like, is Torts to blame for this? Like, I'm sure he's not great at managing relationships with everyone. But also, Dubinsky was playing above his weight class in Columbus. And eventually, he was going to lose that job anyway. So it's easy to blame a coach. But also, he just wasn't that player. Yeah, I mean, I get it, I think, from both sides. When I first saw, Mm. you know, this article, I was like, ooh, is there some juicy information about John Tortorella that we're going to debate again? Because, you know, we talked about his comments with, you know, ESPN, the McDavid stuff, you know, his reaction to the Zegers goal, all that nonsense. Uh, So I thought we were, you know, in for something similar here. This was just, you know, he wanted to play the younger players because Dubinsky wasn't as good anymore. So that was more milder than I thought and feels like more in line with just, you know, general NHL coaching. Well, some of them, some would probably still play Dubinsky on the top line because he's a vet and all that. So it probably varies from coach to coach. Then on the other hand, I look at it from, you know, Dubinsky's point of view, like, you know, it's just tough. Like you're in your job and you're like, I deserve this. I, you know, I'm still effective at least a little bit. Uh, It's, it must be tough to, you know, look at your body and be like, I can't do the things I used to be able to do and look at people who are younger than you doing the things you used to be able to do or better. uh, And, you know, losing ice time, you know, to that, like, I get it. It must be very difficult, you know, to be in that position to lose your kind of lose your job. And you're kind of like, You can't really do anything about it because, you know, that's not how bodies work. You can't like not everyone can outlast time like, you know, Yarmer Yager can. So, yeah. Or Alex Ovechkin. Who is like a robot or something. Both of those guys. Yeah. So I get it, I think, from both perspectives. That's why I think this is a really neat article. I don't know if, you know, like the way it's painted in the article kind of is like Dubinsky's, you know, not complaining necessarily, but like it, it didn't feel as bad as it could have been because we know what you know Taurus has done in the past and I was expecting more inflammatory stuff but like you can still like understand and get in the mindset of somebody of that age and see you know your your prime years pass you by this happens probably to a lot of NHL players this this probably is a pretty common mindset to a bunch of older veterans that you know aren't the Alex Ovechkins aren't the Sidney Crosby's of Genny Malkins, the ones that are really, really good Hall of Fame players. Uh, so this is probably a sentiment that is pretty common, I would expect. Because, you oh, know, yeah. like, like I mean, the goaltending profession in general, there's only one starting goaltender job in the NH- like on each team in the NHL. And then there's the backup position. You've got multiple cases of, you know players playing well in the backup roles and starters losing their positions um and them being like why can't i perform better i'm losing my job to somebody who is younger and better than me i don't know that that's just kind of how sports is in general because you know there's only a certain amount of players on a team there's only a certain amount of spots but i i wouldn't be surprised if that type of mentality is you know more common yeah basically is more common just because you know, you're 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 losing your job in a very public setting, essentially to boil it down to the basics. And as somebody who has lost her job in a very public setting, I completely, you know, sympathize with that. Uh, but it's, you know, playing out for a longer period of time and in front of the public eye with a whole bunch of fans. So I can at least understand it from that perspective. Um, 
just boiling it down to its basics, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think the combination of the physical grind and the mental grind is what eventually gets players to no longer enjoy it, right? If, if you're not enjoying coming to the arena, the arena while you're hurt and yeah. you just feel like you're being left behind, I nobody wants to do that job. And sometimes it doesn't even matter how much you're getting paid, right? Yeah. And I, I, I just thought Dubinsky laying that out there, like there's an air of complaining to it, but I think that that's just, like you said, a natural thing for players who aren't at the highest peak of the NHL. And I did enjoy how he took responsibility for what happened like near the end where they went to Vegas on a road trip and he was injured. He'd broken his eye socket and because he wasn't going to play, he got a little bit rowdy and went out on the strip and partied hard and broke a bunch of team rules and they sent him home. And instead of saying like, Oh, I was injured and why would it matter? He took responsibility and said that it was like a series of bad decisions. And I thought that was like, okay, like this guy's grown up, you know, like not that he wasn't at the time. I don't know if he took responsibility at the time. Didn't say that in the article, but uh, for right now, I thought that was like a very refreshing take from Dubinsky and very like mature seeing things clearly. Yeah. Even though he's like, what, in his mid thirties, you should at least be yeah. mature at that age, but still like it, it, but it. I think it's, I think it's different for athletes, right? Because when you're, foisted into the NHL when you're I don't remember if Dubinsky was a teenager or not but he had a long career and retired at 33 like a lot of these guys don't mature at the same rate as somebody outside which is ironic because having that like financial security of being a professional athlete often allows them to have families earlier than the average person but a lot of them they like they're finished their careers and they're almost still mentally in their early 20s right because everything has been hyper focused on sports outside of that they don't really get to live their lives they're not uh, you know taking classes in university for the most part it's no fault to them it's just like when you are so good at one thing other things fall to the wayside so i i thought it was like a really refreshing take from dubinsky and a really good article from Portsland. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a bit of a long read, but, you know, a very enjoyable one, you know, like I said, from the from the heartwarming, really funny tale at the top to, you know, the more nitty gritty stuff of the injuries and whatnot. Like, yeah, it was a really good piece. So definitely shout outs, you know, to Portsline for writing that and definitely read it. It was good. Uh, like you said, it's not always stuff we talk about in the hockey world. Uh, it's not the glamorous side of hockey. And that's probably why we don't talk about it because it's, you know, not the, you know, Aaron Dell plays, you not, not the, you know, fun moments uh, or the ones, the necessary moments like, you know, racism in hockey that we have to talk about this. This probably should be talked about more just as, you know, from a player health perspective and, you know, at life after hockey, basically, uh, 100%. But, you know, it, it's good to talk about this type of stuff. Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit when we were covering like the Jack Eichel situation where oh yeah, team teams kind of view players as commodities to get to the next day and they don't think 5 10 years down the road and for most of sports's history players have kind of allowed that to happen because they are not as educated on where their lives are going to be 10 15 years from now. So they're just trying to also like they just want to play. And if the team tells you you're good to go or this thing is the best thing to do to play right now, they're just going to do it. 
Whereas now you're starting to see players take some agency and control over their own bodies. And I think that's for the good and something that we need to continue to put out there. But uh, we'll wrap it up there. And soon we're going to talk about the Coyotes potentially playing at Arizona State University right after this. Thanks for making the Crosscheck NHL show your first listen every Tuesday and now Friday. We appreciate you listening to our show and uh, oh, or watching it on YouTube because you can watch it there now. We're on YouTube. Thanks for sticking with us as we move from Thursday to Friday as well. And uh, we'll be there with you throughout the rest of the NHL season and probably into the summer. All right, Mary. Uh, Craig Morgan, who's like the Arizona Coyotes reporter, put out there this morning that the Coyotes are in the midst of negotiating a deal to play their home games at Arizona, State's Uni- Arizona State University's new multipurpose arena. Not short term. But for the next three to four years, this arena has a seating capacity of 5,000. It does. It has, I think they said six luxury boxes or something like that, which for context, uh, I'm pretty sure the Montreal, like the Bell Center has a hundred luxury boxes. (laughs) A statement from the Coyotes on this story says, as we have said many times, we are completely committed to building our future in Arizona. As part of that process, we're excited to be exploring some great, temporary arena options here before we move in to a new permanent home in the valley great i'm sorry but this is embarrassing to me and i distinctly remember hearing gary bettman talk when the winnipeg jets moved back to canada and he was talking about how their arena was not up to par for an nhl arena because it only sat like 15 and a half thousand people. And it was like, if this arena is not sold out every single night, this team might move. I mean, the Arizona Coyotes weren't selling out the arena that they were in. And I think it was Gila river or whatever, but this, I don't understand how it can be allowed to happen because if any Canadian market or any major market tried to pull off being in an arena with 5,000 seats for multiple years, they would be laughed out of the damn league and Batman would be over there immediately to pull the shoot. And I'm at the point now where so much stuff has gone on in this joke of a franchise where they can't even field an NHL team. They're trying to trade Jacob Chikrin, who's like 22 and a legitimately very good defenseman because they don't want to pay him. And I just move this friggin' team to a city that will actually be able to support them financially with an ownership group that gives a crap about the league because this is a joke. Yeah. I feel so bad for Coyotes fans because they don't they don't deserve this. Like I no. mentioned before when we talked about their, you know, arena situation when this all first came to light about them having to move out of Glendale, basically. Um, that hockey can work in the desert. We've seen it in Vegas. Um, Arizona State you know, just moved into Division One, as far as I'm aware, um, within the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, they have a really good support system. I mean, they're getting a new ice rink. I, I believe that this multipurpose arena is new, as far as, far as I'm aware, from what I have looked up. Uh, so it's the same situation, uh, you know, that Penn State was in, because I covered Penn State hockey. That's how I started my, you know, my 
hockey career is, you know, I covered the team and it was, you know, not, a, it was like a club team or not division one at a very small arena. And then a new arena was built that seats, I believe, you know, 6,000. So it's a little bit less um, for Arizona state, but there is, you know, a big, uh, there's a market there. And I mean, part of that has to do with the fact that it's college and college breed specific type of fandom, but I was always on board for, you know, if the coyotes had to move somewhere temporarily, that Arizona State would be a good place to put them because there is at least, you know, a market around there that, that can foster, you know, excitement. And it's, you know, an arena where they can play. But three to four years is a lot of time. It's too much time. I would have been okay if they were there for a year and they were working something else out on the side. Um, because at this point, we're, we're, the clock is ticking on them, you know, moving out of Glendale. There's There's not a lot of options for them that are good ones uh, in the short term, but this is a medium term plan and that is not good for the NHL. You're right. It does not look good for the NHL at all. If this is a Canadian team, this wouldn't stand at all, but this is Gary Bettman's pet project and he doesn't want it to fail. He doesn't want to be seen as a failure in this regard. I am 99% sure with everything we have seen about Gary Bettman. Uh, but this doesn't look good for the league. And I just, I feel terrible for Coyotes fans who have been jerked around by mismanagement of their team for years. They had like a couple good seasons of like, they made the playoffs like once, twice, something like that. They had, you know, a few years of possible hope. Um, I thought you, know, you were going to go into the song there, like once, twice, three oh, no. times a lady. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it just, it's, it's such a disappointment because I want it to work there because I I've seen, you know, Arizona sports. They, there is a healthy market there for sports and it works. Like the clearly. coyotes are why Austin Matthews is here. Yeah, exactly. Right? It makes it, it does so much good to have hockey in these places. We wouldn't have Austin Matthews if it wasn't for the coyotes. And that's so huge for the game of hockey and just, Think of what will happen if, you know, the Coyotes, you know, move out of the desert and move to, I don't know, Quebec, because that's what yeah, people I, I want. Think it'll, from what I've heard from people in the know, the original thought was Houston, but there's some shady things going on with the Houston arena or it's not ready I or also, something. I also the, think to... that, that the NHL, if they want to expand to Houston, they'll do Seattle because it's more money coming in for them. Do you know, well, they already get expanded ex Seattle, remember? Yes, I know, but like it'll be like Seattle. That's <laughs> oh, oh, it will be okay. like Seattle you... in that okay. they will get they'll get more money. The Andy Show will get more money from an expansion than a relocation. Than so a relocation. They want, yes, so 100%. if they want to move to Houston, they will ex like expand there and not relocate a franchise. I don't know where they would. Yeah. Maybe like Kansas City, something like I've that. I've heard That's... Kansas City is in the running, and also Austin. Yeah, and that would be cool too. Like if we eventually get three Texas teams. That'd be sweet. Uh, but I think Houston is their big play for the future. I can't see them relocating there. I don't know any of the shady stuff like you mentioned, but from at least the monetary standpoint, since expansion gains more money and you know how the NHL is with, you know, flat cap pandemic seasons. We've talked a whole lot about the NHL's money issues this year because of COVID and everything. I think they'll want to save Houston for expansion, but a Kansas City... Uh, even Austin. Austin's a beautiful city. I've been there once for a conference. It was really nice. Um, yeah, like, 
I can see it going there. But if it goes to Quebec, you're not making new hockey fans in Canada. I'm sorry. I know Canadian fans want another team. But with the way the NHL is, it's I don't think it's I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I, I, I can't understand the NHL trying to expand into a market that's already has hockey fans. I'm not saying every Canadian citizen is a hockey fan, but you're less likely to get new fans if you move to Quebec or somewhere or give Toronto a second team or whatever than you are expanding to Kansas City where they've got a huge market for sports or you know Austin or some other place that isn't as richly tapped in the hockey market as Canada is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was listening to the Chris Johnson show earlier yesterday, and Julian was asking Chris about something that Adam Wilder mentioned on the SDPN, and he was saying that uh, Adam was saying that he thought that there was a possibility of the NHL basically having an expansion franchise in London before any franchise ends up in Quebec, and Chris Johnston fully agreed, and I believe went on to expand and say like. NHL Europe will likely happen before Quebec City. So that's super interesting to me that there's a possibility of the NHL looking that way because that's a huge market. I mean, the NFL, the NFL is trying to with their games yeah. in London. I even heard maybe like Mexico is on the, you know, the NFL's. Yeah, you know, I mean, board. why not? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Mexico makes a lot of sense, especially for NFL. But start talking strictly of like money, like expansion makes money for sure but i know that there's some benefits to owning a team and losing 30 million dollars a year which is what the coyotes have been doing now for like 20 straight years but from an nhl wide point of view that 30 million dollars a year that the coyotes are losing just bleeding affects every other team the cap stays lower Revenue sharing uh, doesn't go as much to other franchises, right? Because the Coyotes need to be supported by everyone else. So if you were to move the Coyotes to a, a city where even if you're not making new fans, even if you're just even, you're not making money, you're just now even, everyone in the NHL is a little bit ri richer, right? From that, like every team essentially is a little bit richer. So I think this is a situation that needs to get resolved. No matter how they do it, I think that it's important to note that this isn't something that we blame on the people of Phoenix or the citizens of Arizona or Glendale. No. It's not a fans issue. Oh, it's, it's a management issue. issue. Yeah, one hundred percent. Management and ownership. It has been it has been mishandled, mismanaged, misowned for basically since its inception. It feels like didn't the yeah. NHL also own the Coyotes for like a little bit yes. of time too? So like they share some like of the a couple of years. Here. Yeah, so like it just it's bad all around. There's there's not going to be any winners here for anyone because you know I've yeah. never had the pain of losing a sports team, you know, but it has to suck. It really does. I mean, you saw it with the Rams when they moved out of St. Louis into Los Angeles. Like that was a very, you know, it was a very you know bad split. Uh and it just it there's no winners here. There really isn't. I mean, eventually, if the NHL evens out, uh, but I think first and foremost, they need to get the owners away from the Coyotes. I don't know how that happens, but it, it, it they just can't continue to be, you know, the basement dwellers, the the basically laughing stock of the league. They they can't continue to keep being like that. Something needs to change. Yeah. And I just feel bad for the fans. You guys don't deserve this. You really don't. It, it's a shame that it has been so mishandled 
by, you know, management in the league because we've seen how these franchises can work out in the desert. Vegas is a big example of that. And I know Vegas has its own culture and, you know, had success out of the gate and that absolutely helps. But, you know, it just, it makes me sad. It really does. And I don't know how you resolve this um, where somebody like the most people win here, but someone's going to lose in this situation. And it's probably going to be the Coyotes fans because, you know, their, their team either continues to be the laughing stock of the league or they lose their team entirely. And it's just sad. Yep. It's, it's a joke. And at a certain point when you mishandle things, as long as the Coyotes have, you break all your relationships in the area. And I think that's the, what, what's happening right now in Arizona is that nobody trusts this group. Nobody trusts this team. And it's just best to do a clean break. All right. Are you tired about talking about the Arizona Coyotes? I'm tired in general. So uh, let's grab a built bar and get our energy back up. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure that you include a Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Chocolate bar for Canada. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets boring? By like week three... You might be thinking, this isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a chocolate bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something healthy. And tastes incredible. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And there's so many flavors to choose from, like coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and so many more. Built is always coming out with new limited-time flavors, so check out built.com often, to see what's new go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 to get 15% off of your order use promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com it's time for the pop culture roulette segment uh mary i see you have something in here you want to take off uh running here yeah um i haven't seen it yet but i'm really excited because uh when you guys hear this on friday i will have watched the first I think three episodes of the legend of vox machina a critical roles animated show on amazon um of their first campaign uh and some stuff before their first campaign uh i've talked about critical role on the show before it's a DD uh web series slash podcast uh, basically where they play D&D straight for four hours. Uh, and I've been a fan for years. Uh, so nearly every Thursday I've watched basically four hours of D&D content because I have nothing else going on with my life. Uh, but it's really cool uh, to see the, you know, a bunch of the first campaign or at least you know, the first arcs of it animated. Um, and this is going to be a great jumping off point for new people who, you know, the Critical Role is a very big uh, buy-in, basically. Like I said, it's four hours of unedited D&D, uh, which for some people is great. For some people, they're like, I cannot do four hours every week uh, for however many weeks there are in a year. 50, 52, right? 52 weeks in the year, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I know it's a big buy-in for people, but from all the reviews I've seen, um, 
it is a really good i mean it is not it's it's animated but it's not a kid show uh so do not watch uh with your kids but uh you know if you were ever intrigued about getting into critical role or you know D D and you heard a lot of really good things uh i recommend it uh just because i've heard good things but i'm really excited to be watching that um basically by the time you guys hear this i will have watched it and i'm just excited because i've been a big fan of the show for years and it's really cool to see them hitting you know amazon with an animated show uh that's just kind of surreal to me because i've I didn't watch from the very beginning of the show, but I watched, you know, about midway through campaign one. So I've been with the show for years now. And to see their growth from then to now has just been really awesome. So just a really cool thing I'm excited for. Um, and yeah, definitely recommend if the show has ever piqued your interest and you want to at least take a look as to why people love it so much. Yeah, all I've got is uh, I watched the latest episode of boba fett last night i've heard i've heard really confusing things andrew i know you're not gonna spoil it but i'm really i can spoil it if you want me to <laughs> sure you can but i know we talked about people don't like star wars spoilers need to know why a certain character shows up <laughs> i mean it's it's relatively easily explained but okay. uh i'm only, i finished episode three so i'm a couple episodes behind but i'm like can we just say spoiler warning for for Book of Boba Fett? But why is it why is you know it's the Mandalorian season two point five basically? What's happening? Yes, here? I mean basically Boba's looking for some muscle, and Fennec Shand is like, "We've got some coin. Why don't we hire Mando?" And they're like, "Yeah, why don't we?" And so they basically spend a whole episode showing like where Mando has been during this time, and it's so good. It's uh -huh. so good, Mary. It like. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rush Boba you that Fett. episode. Yeah, I'm enjoying Boba Fett. Certain aspects of it more than others. Like I mentioned on our last shows, like it being a little bit too Star Wars reference heavy for me has kind of like thrown me out of it a tiny bit. And like I see where they're going and I hope that they can get there nicely because it's been a little bit up and down. But it just it reminded me how great the Mandalorian is. And I can't wait for that series to come I can't back. It's by I can't... far the best thing that Star Wars has ever done. I can't believe like, the book of Boba Fett. He got upstaged in his own show by the Mandalorian. He wasn't even in the episode. Boba That's Fett wasn't so in the funny. episode. It's so funny. It's to so me. funny. Like, I, it's just I, John Favreau being like, I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. So obviously I need to keep watching it now because I love, as we've talked about, I love the Mandalorian. Uh, so I need to see what's happening. Is it, I, I assume it's after season two, right? Is that what, Yes. That, okay. Because I really don't know the timelines of these shows anymore. It's a, there's just too many of them. But I'm really I I I saw something about like Boba Fett got upstaged in his own show, and I'm like, what does that mean? And then I clicked on it. It was like, you know, The Mandalorian. I'm like, what is happening? So <laughs> I'm really I'm excited to get there. I'm fine with that being spoiled for me, just because I needed I needed answers. Uh, and I'm glad you provided them on the show for me, Andrew, because. I when I saw that I was like, what is happening in this show? Did I re did did like episode from like three to five? Because I think they're on five now. Does like, yeah, what happened? But yeah, that's... and there's only two episodes left. Jeez, oh, it's, it's only a seven episode season, so very interesting to see what they can do with this. I, I'm really interested in it. But that's all we have today for you for the Crosscheck NHL show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for making us your first listen every Tuesday and Friday, and maybe make your second listen Locked On Bets. Locked on Bets is your your only source that you need for all of your betting action in the sports world, hosted by your 
boy Q with expert analysis from veteran odds maker Lee Sterling. Available on all platforms, Locked On Bets.